Hello. Welcome to Teaching Multiple Ages with Literature. Today I have with me Rhonda, Sheila, and Sandy. They are, between them, they have many, many years of homeschooling experience. All of their children have graduated from high school. Most of them have graduated from college and are working adults. They have degree, their children have degrees in science, finance, liberal arts, and many, many other things. They have experiences in life that will help us tackle this subject. All of them have multiple children with multiple ages. And you may have seen some of these ladies if you go to homeschool conventions. They are generally the ones staffing the Sunlight booth. We call them the Sunlight Curriculum Consultants. They love to be out there sharing their passions about sunlight and their passions about homeschooling with literature-based learning. So today we're going to talk about multiple teaching with multiple ages with literature-based learning. Um, literature-based learning really does lend itself greatly to do this. Uh, it is a great way to create relationships and develop strong bonds with your children. It also uh, starts to establish really great conversations as families. Um, and these veteran moms will share practical ideas and helps as we walk through this. So let's get started. Sheila, how do you establish clear guidelines of how to homeschool multiple ages? Yeah, that's a great question. So how do you do this in your own home? Each person has, um, has a different home environment, a, a different setup as far as number of children, how, how spread apart they are. We talk to so many different families in the Sunlight Booth and help them figure out where a good place to start is and how to combine their children. So there are three different ways that we usually recommend. The first one is how I started. I taught to the oldest. When we first started homeschooling, I had a five-year-old, a three-year-old, and a baby. And so we started by uh, choosing a, a curriculum, um, kindergarten level curriculum, because I had a five-year-old and he was starting kindergarten. The three-year-old would listen in and he would um, listen to me read to the older one. The following year, when the older one was six, his name is Tommy, when Tommy was six, Timothy was four, and he was enjoying listening to the reading, but he wanted to have his own work, his own um, worksheets and workbooks and, and things to work on. So I would just throw things at him to keep him busy because I was trying to work with this school-age child and, um, and keep the baby out of any kind of trouble. So I would um, teach to the oldest and, and let the younger ones listen in for a number of years until we reached the point where really the older one needed to work on his own around middle school. So then I combined the middle child, Timothy, with the baby who is now in school. So when he did level D, which um, at the time was geared towards eight to 10 years old, he was six when he did that level. When I combined him with his sister, he was now 10. He was on the old range, of, on the old end of the age range for that particular level. So he was able to get things on a much deeper level, to understand stories on a deeper level, to, to glean more out of it than he 
got when he was six. He, he still enjoyed the stories and, and listened in just fine when he was younger, but as an older child, he was able to get more out of it. Um, so when I did that combination, that combining, then I was teaching to the youngest, and that's another way that, that you can um, gear your choosing. You can teach to the youngest. Um, I like to use cooking as an analogy. When you're cooking, it is easier to add salt than to take it away. So don't oversalt your food because once it's in, you can't take it back out. And, and that's like when it's too hard, if, if you choose a level that's too advanced and it's too hard, it's harder to simplify things. So it's if you're gonna err, err on the side of too easy because it's always easier to beef things up and make things a little bit harder than it is to make it a little bit easier. So when you're combining and you wanna teach to, to the youngest, then you're gonna gear everything towards that youngest child and then add a little extra for that older child to make it more age appropriate for that child. Your third choice is to teach to the middle, kind of split the difference. And you have that, old, that older child that you can beef things up for. You have the younger child that's just kind of listening in and tagging along. And then you're really teaching towards the middle. So depending on your family situation and where you're starting homeschooling, whether you're starting out like I did in kindergarten with your oldest or you're pulling kids out of school, um, your scenario may be different than what I did. So consider one of those. Teach to the oldest, to the middle, or to the youngest. Very good. At Sunlight, we divide our curriculum between couch subjects, which are reading on the couch as a family and learning history, Bible, literature, and table subjects where we tackle, we sit at a table and you tackle um, math, language arts, more um, age appropriate, and maybe that's where the split is, the couch and table. So how do you approach different ages, or, or I'm sorry, the difference in ages as you educate your children? Sandy? Let me start by saying, you all watch a movie together, right? The whole family sits around, you watch your movie. It doesn't matter what the age is of the children. They all come out picking out something that was important to them. You can even have twins that might pick out different parts of it. We all pick out what we hear and what we can glean from it. Then you can re-watch that movie a few years later and you get different things out of it. You pick up subtleties, you pick up different facts. Even as an adult, if I watch a movie more than once, and that's why learning with literature-based curriculum works so well for multiple ages. So um, again, to define the, the couch subjects, it's your Bible, your history, your read-alouds, and read-alouds are what you read out loud to your children. And sometimes readers, it depends. If they're older and they're reading on their own, that's fine. They can just go wherever they want. But if they're still learning to read, yes, that's still a couch subject. They're sitting next to you while you're teaching them um, their reading. They're, they're learning to be independent readers. One huge benefit is that all the family members, or at least many of the family members, are learning the same subject. And so that allows you to um, point out things that have happened in, in the world that we just learned about that and everybody knows what you're talking about. Um, it also allows, God is so good to allow things to happen. We once uh, learned about electrical transformers. 
And then we were driving down the street and one blew up in front of us. And we said, ah, there, there's a transformer. So again, it, because everybody's on the same page and because I'm a part of what they're learning, I can bring those points out. Um, another benefit of doing this across all ages is it allows creativity, it allows imagination. Um, I have a friend who has sons and when they were younger they did medieval times and they decided to build a catapult out of popsicle sticks, rubber bands, and pencils. Then when they got to junior high, they had the same subject again. Well, this time they're building a catapult out of a steel axle and 150 pound ballast, but they did it because they were, um, it, it, they were inspired by what they were reading. And then they did it all together. I will give you an important word of advice about high school though. When a child reaches high school, just as Sheila was talking about how she taught to the older child um, or the younger child. If you're teaching to the younger child and you have a child that's older that gets to high school, they need to be doing high school worthy work. If you have to separate them at that time, that's what you need to do. And it might be easier to keep them together, but you have to consider um, what's coming up now. And so they're gonna become more independent at this point anyway. They're gonna become more of their mentor. On the other hand, don't push a younger child into high school. They may be an excellent reader, but a lot of times it's over their head as far as they're missing the point of the year is what happens. They can read it, but they don't have enough life experience to understand what's going on. And I have seen that multiple times among families. Um, so be careful of those two things. If you ever find yourself in a position though, where the younger child needs to be um, taken out again because they would be pushed into high school, it's okay to revisit a year. It works out so well. I had to do that with one of my own children. And I thought she would be bored, I would be bored. It turned out to be an outstanding year for both of us actually. Because this time, just like that movie, she picked up more facts, she picked up more subtleties, she, re she liked it a whole lot better. And I actually learned more the second time around too. So don't ever be afraid um, to revisit a year. Then you have your table subjects, um, your math, your spelling, your handwriting, your art, the, the things that you would do at a table, basically. And these are chosen according to the child's grade and ability. Sometimes you might have two children, depending on strengths and weaknesses, that need to be on the same math. That's okay. But typically, it's done by their grade and age. Um, you're there to give direction. You're there to help them complete their work. You can walk around the table, whatever. But um, I think that this is pretty self-explanatory what a table subject is. Well, let's talk about homeschool schedules that work. Rhonda, can you help us figure out what to do and what are some ideas that work? Oh, I think you're on mute. Sorry. Yes. Yes, I can. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, there are several ways to schedule, and you may even flex from year to year, from month to month. I think the important thing is to have some sort of schedule for the day, but you may, it may flex. I think some things to uh, ask yourself come from, actually stole this from Sarita Holzman. You might recognize that name. And she suggests to ask yourself a few things are like, do you want to start the same time every day? Is that important to you? 
or is that not really going to be your style because you perhaps have like let's say you have littles and like they're playing beautifully together and you kind of hate to break that up so are you cool with okay well maybe we're going to start a little bit later today because they're being so fabulous so there's that. Um, another thing you might have to consider, which actually had to do, which is if you do have a co-op day or you have a sports day or something like that, that you may need to schedule particular days different than other days to accommodate for the outside activities like dance, co-op, debate team, whatever. Um, also, are you going to be the type that you need to do uh, every subject every day? And I will say, honestly, those types of subjects like math and language arts are skill-based and those really do need to be done on a daily basis. Things that could maybe be combined into like one or two days a week could be like sciences or, or history could be done that way also. Or, or reading if you really want to read lots of chapters in one day, you could do that. And we do have a, I do have a couple guidelines as for when you're scheduling and you're going with your day. Um, you do want to make sure that you don't allow another child to interrupt when you're working with other children on the table subject. Um, this is twofold. For one thing, it's interrupting the flow of the child you're currently working with. Secondly, it's not particularly good for the child who is the interrupter because they need to learn a little bit of self-control and maybe some impulsivity where they're going to learn to, hey, maybe if I think about this a little bit longer, I'll figure it out. And that independence is something we were really looking for. So specifically during your day to set up, the first thing you might wanna do is look at those table subjects and get your bigger kids, older kids, get going on that, and then sit down and work with the youngers on their table subjects. Um, once everybody um, can, you, everybody's done with their table subjects, then you might let the littles have a little break, run around for a little bit while you go over anything that the olders need with their table subjects. And then at that point, I, I often did um, Bible together, that we'd call them back and we would do the Bible together, um, depending on whether, as the as, as um, Sandy was talking about and Sheila was talking about, it depends on whether you're running one one history or two histories but if you're just running one then probably reading aloud together there with the history and the time thing um i do have a hint for beginning of each year um i used to teach public school and i did this in public school too and that is don't think that when you start the year that you have to be like okay this is day one of school i must get all the subjects done not so much you're gonna die, okay? Be nice to yourself. I always eased in. So start start with that math or start with that history and add one subject. And by the end of two weeks, you've trained everybody how to do all those subjects. And you've trained yourself, you've eased into a schedule. And I'm, I'm just saying it's, it's nicer, it's nicer. And another thing you can do, um, when you're doing your read-alouds, this is a great time, um, especially for those littles, they may be a little bit hungry, so maybe like approved snack time <laughs> could be a possibility. Um, as they're chewing, they're thinking, they're a bit able to listen in. Um, 
And another thing, and if you're doing some read-alouds with some youngers, and maybe you've got a junior higher wandering around, you know, um, don't leave them out. I remember when Grayson was, uh, he was a junior higher, and I was reading to the baby, he was like five, and he heard me start My Father's Dragon. Grayson came ripping around the corner, and he's all, what? I love that one! <laughs> and so... He was back with us. And that's why you're homeschooling, right? It's that family. It's that we're all on the same page. This is this is what we know. This is our family heartbeat. So it, you just don't want to miss those moments. So yeah, have some flexibility in that schedule, but it does not get the older one out of his math. Okay, let's let's just be clear about that. Um also when those littles, um, let those littles, if you're reading aloud and and I let, I honestly, my boys, I have four young, four boys and one girl and the girl's the oldest. So the four boys, sometimes the littles would be rolling around on the floor actually. And I'm on the couch reading and I'd ask them a question. They knew exactly what I was reading. They were just moving. They're boys. It's what they do. And so sometimes I had Legos, sometimes I had things and you know, they were fine. They learned, they knew. Another thing you can schedule, um, I was just talking to my daughter, she's got three youngers and she's using sunlight to homeschool right now. And she said, you know, mom, it's really hard to get all the subjects in one day. She said, so I've been doing like a lot of the content for science in one or two days. And then I leave one day for art and um, we do art, math, and I think the language arts and then she's, and then the science experiment. So she's just kind of rearranging what fits her. Let me give you some encouragement too. Sometimes, no matter how much you schedule and you plan and you're flexing and you're doing all these things, no matter what, sometimes you can just have a rough day or the kiddos are having a rough day. You know what? Don't get too wigged out. <laughs> like, oh my gosh, this is ruining my schedule. It's better not to force it. It's better to let them um, like change it up. Say, okay, everybody, it is officially tea time and pull out the reader or officially it's time to go out and have some pe and run around outside and you know throw balls or whatever it is you need to do but i would encourage that and also i think there's a tendency in our schedule sometimes as we're moving along um, when you have those older children and they are independent a lot and i would really encourage you when you've got a little taking a nap Take that time to give that older child some individual attention. Give them that nurture. They need it too. They're never going to tell you that they do, but they do. And that's the time to look into their eyes, talk to them, hear them, talk about their, the book that they're, they're reading, whatever. But don't miss those opportunities. That's why we're doing what we do. Well, that is amazing. Um, as we think about our children aging and having to change and modify the schedule that you may have established when they were younger, how can families approach um, this as children age and change? Sandy? Um, there are various reasons why things may come up, why you have to change things up. For instance, one of my children, I had to slow down the year we were on. And it's okay with a sunlight year, for instance, to, to take a year and a half to do it, even two years, as long as they're doing math every day, reading every day. And so um, what I would do is I would take my schedule 
and I'd count out three days, make a little mark in the schedule. And then the next week when I came in, I'd start again. So what I did with her, because I was trying to get her on a particular schedule, it took us three years to do two sunlight years. It worked great. It got me where I needed to be with her. Um, as far as maturity, she was coming along with that too. So it's important to know that sunlight, though, the home life and the homeschool do intersect. Give yourself permission to modify. It's okay uh, to make these changes. You may need to do it because of strengths and weaknesses of a child. You may do it because you have a severe illness in the family. You may be moving. It could be any huge life event that causes you to have to modify. And maybe it's just for that one year. Maybe it's every year. Maybe it's like Sheila had talked about where um, you had to modify to beef something up for a child or to take something away for a younger child who's having trouble keeping up. But you can take books, choose a few books, uh, take them out of the schedule if you need to, read them over the summer. Um, you can delay your science experiments just as Rhonda was talking about her daughter, that she does them all in one day. Um, allow a young emergent writer, a first grader for instance, who hates writing, let them dictate to you while you're writing their answers in their, on their worksheets. Now, there is that fine line. They still have to do their handwriting. They still have to do some things, but it's okay to help them to come alongside with encouragement. And sometimes it just means be a partner with them. If they're reading and it's a slow process for them, you read one page, they read the next. There are things you can do to help modify and to help encourage them to get through this. Um, I would say that one of the biggest things is it's easy enough to tweak it, but if you're not real sure how, Sunlight has wonderful advisors. I mean, if you're using their program, you can call in because it's hard for us even to talk about all the different options because you may have a totally different split than I do with your children's ages or their personalities are so different or their interests are so different. So it's better for an advisor, for instance, to talk about um, specifics for their family. So that leads us to the million dollar question. What do you do with those toddlers? Any ideas? <laughs> oh, those little people. Um, they don't necessarily like it when you are spending all your time with their siblings. They want the attention. So how do you handle these distracting little people is the question. Um, and the bad answer is, there's no one answer that fits all. It, we can give you ideas and you can try them, but even in my own home, um, one might work for one and one might work for another. But a few ideas are, um, you can have them cuddle on your lap while you are reading. It works better if the book has some pictures in it, but um, they, then they think you're reading to them and that helps. That didn't work for my youngest. I had to, I finally discovered, I had to give her the first 15 to 20 minutes of my undivided attention first thing in the morning. We colored, we read, um, we just talked sometimes. And by giving her total, my attention, then she could sit in the room with us and she would let us read, she would let us do school without distracting at all. But prior to that, it was constant interruption. So giving her that time made all the difference in the world. Rhonda, do you have anything to add? 
Yeah, I, I also had, remember, I spoke teenage and, and toddler at the same moments. And um, I remember um, a youngest when I'd be reading some of those Usborne books and stuff to his, oh, as school age, they were probably fifth grade or something. Um, I remember like he would be in the room, but he would suddenly jump up on the back of the couch, peer over my shoulder. We heard something cool, look at the picture and then jump back out and then go back. And um, you just never know what they're going to do. Um, some people have called, you know, toddlers kind of like chimpanzees. You can't really, you know, enthusiastic, loving, but, you know, kind of like, wow. Anyway, one thing you can do is I actually had a special um, group of activities that were what they were only for read aloud time for, with the siblings. And those are the things that they could play with or use during that time. Another trick that you can use, and my daughter actually used this one on her two-year-old, her current two-year-old, um, is make sure that the activities go in these school supply um, closets so that when you're pulling something out for the day, he knows he just got his school too because he's part of the big kids. So he has special puzzles that are his school, and he's very, very happy about that. Other things that you could possibly use, um, I allowed Legos. I had certain Legos they could use that worked. Um, felt boards with shapes, um, magnetic boards with letters, whiteboards. Okay, that could get crazy with, you know, markers. But evidently, this did not happen when I was teaching, you know, when I was homeschooling. But there's this something called color wonders. And evidently, it's special paper. And when the kids mark on that paper, the color shows. But if they're color on anything else, it'll never show. So it sounds good. <laughs> yeah. And um, I used, um, I let the kids, I would buy pipe cleaners and let them create like structures. Uh, and that was a good one. They have wiki sticks now. And those are those little waxy sticky things. Those are pretty cool too. So really neat. The key I think is, is it's special school time, their things. And they will feel very grown up about it and part of the group is part of I seen toddlers to come cooperate with you so I think I think that's yeah that's about it well those are all great tips how do you make sure your students have the tools and resources they need for learning Sheila so um, at the beginning of each school year I think, personally, I think the most important tool to have is your actual curriculum. Um, many times we, we talk to families in the booth that say, well, these are just books. Can I just use the library? And, you know, every family has to do what is right for them. But I caution you if that's a thought you've had, because you're not the only one who's had that thought. And you're not the only one who's going to try and do that. So that means when it says on week four that you need whatever book it is, Johnny Tremaine, and you go to check it out of the library, it might not be available. And I don't know about your library, but at my library, you can keep the book for three weeks and you can renew it. So um, if I place a hold on it, then you can't keep it, but you could keep it and pay fines. Um, but so, so the book that you need may not be available when you need it. Uh, the book that you need may not be available at all. Maybe your library doesn't carry it. Maybe it went missing. 
So I like to tell people, um, I, I just had a house project done and a young man is a carpenter and he, he built me these lovely cabinets and um, shelves. And he had an amazing amount of tools. He had all kinds of saws and hammers, like, you know, nail guns and not, not just like a hammer nails, but like these really cool, you know, do, do, do kind of tools. And he had everything he needed to build my cabinets. He didn't ask me for parts. He didn't ask his neighbor if he could borrow his table saw or whatever. He had the tools that he needed to do his job. This is a job that you are doing. You are a now, you are a teacher. Whether you're teaching one child or you're teaching nine, you are a teacher and this is your job. And you need your tools to do your job. You are worth having those tools. You can skimp and save in other areas, but you are entitled to have your tools when you need them. So when your curriculum says week four, Johnny Tremaine, you can walk to your shelf and pull that book off the shelf and you have what you need. So I think the biggest resource that you need is your curriculum. You need to have it in-house and it is worth the money that you spend on it. Um, the second thing is just like, every school you have a supply list that you may need for that year and it is fun i am a school supply junkie i love the, the beginning of the school year to get new pencils and new pens and glue sticks and coloring things and whatever so take advantage of the sales and each child can have their own um, pencil box or their own drawer or you know box like a supply box or whatever to keep their supplies in. And so you can write up a list of things that they'll need. If they're younger, they may need those fat pencils. If they're older, they may need a pen. If they, they may need special writing paper or just regular notebook paper. They may need a folder. They may need a three ring binder. So brainstorm the kinds of materials that you'll need for your school year and then go shopping and, and have each child have their own. It is frustrating for um, a younger child to have to share a pair of scissors if they're supposed to be cutting out their shape or their letter from their worksheet to paste onto their paper. It's okay for each child to have their own label them and they can have their special place where they, they keep their supplies. So school supplies are definitely a tool and a resource that you will want to have. One year, um, this was years ago, but we had a regular old cheapy printer. And my husband at the beginning of the year asked me, he's my principal, and he asked me, his, his teacher, he said, what do you need to do your job well? And I was like, you know, I could really use a wireless printer. This was back in the day when they were still kind of a thing. It would be so nice to not, not have to go to the computer that's attached to, to the printer to print the paper that the kid has written. I would love to have a wireless printer. And he's like, do it. And you know, the prices come way down now, but at the time, it, it was, yeah. and we had a perfectly good printer. So it's not like ours was broken, but that was a tool that made my life easier. And my husband gave me the go ahead and I got me a printer. The other thing is to have ink. When we were in a co-op and my kids were writing for a different teacher, and they were trying to print their paper and we ran out of ink and I didn't have backup, we were scrambling, you know, nine o'clock at night and they're trying to print it for the next morning and we didn't have ink and so we were scrambling. I had to email it to my brother and have him print it and it was a hassle. So have that paper, 
have that ink, have, have your spares so that you have your tools when you need them. Another thing is I know we're in a modern time. We are in the modern age and you can easily Google a definition for a word or find a thesaurus, you know, thesaurus.com or whatever. But it is a skill to have to learn how to work a dictionary. So have a paper dictionary. It doesn't even have to be super new. You could go to the thrift store and find a dictionary. Um, but teach your child how to use a paper dictionary, a thesaurus, to have those tools on hand. Um, is, is a very valuable thing. Teach them how to read a map. If you're gonna do that, you have to have a map. <laughs> so I know, again, we have these little phones that have maps on them that tell us where to turn, et cetera, but there may be a time where they don't have internet connection and they need to know how to read a paper map. So you have to have that tool in order to be able to teach it. Um, some other online resources are Khan Academy. My sister-in-law was like, I just discovered this. And I was like, didn't everybody know about Khan Academy? But um, it's a great online resource. It's free and you can practice all kinds of things, even SAT practice. My, my daughter did all her SAT um, prep work on Khan Academy. There are free resources for your phones. Um, I, myself, am learning some foreign languages on Duolingo. It's a great app that you can use. Um, it's simple enough, I think, for a, a youngish child. They have to be able to read. Um, but there are so many other resources that, that you can use in conjunction with just your regular curriculum. And finally, um, this is a tool and a resource, but teach your child how to how to find the answer. Don't just give them the answer. If they come to you and ask, you know, how to spell a word or where, where is Florida or whatever, lead them to the place that will give them the answer. So whether that's a dictionary, whether that's an online search tool or whatever, a map, show them how to get to the answer. Don't just give it to them. Yes, there are times where you're working with, you know, multiple children and they just want to know how to, you know, does here have H-E-R-E -E or E-A-R? Which one is it, mommy? I'm not going to stop everything to make them look that up. But more often than not, I do try to direct them how to find the answer on their own. And that is going to serve them for years to come because mm -hmm. they can't ask me everything and I don't know everything. You know, <laughs> it, it's easy in kindergarten, but when, once they're in high school and college, I don't know the answer. So they have to learn how to learn. Yeah. Rhonda, can you help talk us through how to allow independence to grow as children grow? Yes, absolutely. Um, I will say that um, I have a couple friends who are college professors and I will tell you that there's been some moms here that have done some great jobs of growing some independent homeschoolers because they, uh, my friends who um, actually they're, I think account, yeah, accounting professors and um, got graduate work and they're like, I love those homeschoolers because they can, they can think, they can, they can divide, they know how to do, like they can do all the things. So, okay, so how did that happen? <laughs> it's intentional. So it starts back in when they're in elementary school and you have your little one and you've got your handy dandy sunlight schedule going on and what you can do is write down simply like two things for that child to accomplish and um, let them kind of be responsible for the timing of that 
and um, let them get those two things done. So that's kind of a beginning, just like give them a little bit of some independence and then let them, um, if, if you see though that they don't get it done, then you need to back up the truck a little bit and just give them maybe one thing and then, and then move on. So then let's say um, they get to junior high, what you should be able to do at that point is give them a daily schedule where they're having to now not just divide a couple hours, but they're having to divide, okay, how I'm going to accomplish all these things in this amount of time for this day. So kind of a, a daily schedule probably is appropriate for a junior hire. By the time they're in high school, at that point, it should be, these are, this is the week you figure it out. How are you gonna schedule yourself? How is this gonna get done? And that's teaching that independence, that's teaching responsibility. Um, again, uh, don't let it get to a train wreck situation. Well, okay, sometimes you do have to let a train wreck, but, but um, be in there and be cognizant and aware of whether they're really getting those things done. Maybe check with them, uh, have a weekly meeting. Um, but I would not be doing, I don't know that, eventually you would want your junior or senior that you're not doing a, a daily check. It would need to be like a weekly check because that's truly getting them ready for college then at that point. Um, and just remember though, even though just, just because of that literature base uh, that you're hopefully using with your, your high school child, I still, even at that age, I, when I had that weekly meeting, don't give up that moment to connect with your child with that high schooler because you still are developing those relationships. And yes, they're independently doing their, a lot of their things, but you still want to touch base with them, talk to them, look in their eyes, connect. So important. What are some ideas for outside the box thinking that includes using real experiences for learning? You know, many of us um, learned in a traditional school setting. And so sometimes it's hard for us to get out of that. We, even with uh, literature-based, which is outside the box, um, it's still hard for us to leave the idea of doing all our school at the table or on the couch every day, every subject. But sometimes it's appropriate to do something different. Um, but there, there is, so that's the first thing is don't get stuck with the idea of traditional school necessarily or the traditional setting. The other one is don't compare yourself. Don't think what your neighbor, don't find out what your homeschool neighbor is doing or your friends are doing. Uh, don't compare yourself. Ask yourself, are my ch children learning? Do they love to learn? Hey, you're doing good. Um, but some ideas for outside the boxes use uh, real life experiences grow plants, you know, um, grocery shopping, just the menu planning when Sheila was talking about, um, well, that was not today. Um, but there are other ways to do that outside the box. So you can do the menu planning and all that. Um, you can discuss opportunities when you're out doing errands. What did you think about that character? Um, how would you build a catapult? You know, you can, your learning goes on all the time. Little ones can help sort socks, match colors, you know, there are those sorts of things, but sometimes a difficult season happens. Um, again, illness, you're moving, something can happen. And so you might want to use the discovery channel if you have cable. You might want to use 
um, magic school bus DVDs, you know, there's seasons for science. You might want to go to the museums for history and for science. This may be an odd point for thinking outside the box, but you know, we're so used to doing school during the day and we're done by the evening. But include dad, include him in what you have done just to talk about some of the things you've learned, show him what you've learned. Because remember, everybody else has been pretty much on the same subject. So he's kind of like, you know, the, we have all an inside joke and he's missing out. So just kind of keep him involved. Um, I would say that teaching multiple age children can be a challenge. There's no question. You have different personal personalities, you have different age spread, home life, all of those sorts of things. It may take a few weeks every year uh, to find that rhythm, but you can tweak it. You can call a sunlight advisor if you need to, but remember relationships um, is what you're working on to develop. Um, it, it is so worth it. I just, I just wanna say, be encouraged, do it. That's great. Thank you ladies so much for joining me to talk about teaching multiple ages with literature. I hope that you all found this helpful and we'll see you next time.